Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with BC's new vaccine passport, the vaccine card soon to be in effect, proof of vaccination required to enter a restaurant, pub, movie theater, and other non-essential venues. My guest is Dr. Bonnie Henry, BC's public health officer, and I'm pleased to welcome her back. Dr. Henry, thank you for coming on this morning. Oh, no problem. Good morning. Good morning to you. I appreciate it a lot. Okay, the website is open right now for people to download the vaccine card to their smartphones. How is the rollout going so far? Uh, well, it's been popular, and yes, uh, we've been uh, trying to make sure that the website uh, keeps up with the, the the volume of people, and I know there's uh, close to half a million people who've downloaded already, which is great, um, and yes, there has been a bit of a wait time at certain points, and I know we had a bit of a downtime overnight, um, but, uh, you know, we have time, so I ask people to be patient, and uh, you may want to wait a day or two until things settle down a little bit, but it is uh, relatively simple once you get on. All right. We've heard a lot from our listeners here in the last 24 hours, and many of them have successfully been able to download the card. Uh, some of them, though, uh, experience some trouble, but you're encouraging people to be patient. Like the website's holding up so far, though, overall? The website is holding up, and what they've done is uh, have a, a waiting room, um, so people are led into the web website on a on a gradual basis. That means that the website can keep up with things, um, but it does mean that sometimes you're in the waiting room for a period of time beforehand, and it, that's a way of of trying to moderate the impact on the website itself. Uh, these are the things that I'm learning about the IT system, but I know when I went on to do it, it, it was uh, once you get in there, it's pretty simple. Right, and you also have an interim measure in place where starting Monday, when proof of vaccination required, you can show you the vaccine card you got when you were immunized, right? Yeah, we want to make things as easy as possible for people. And these QR codes, the BC vaccine card, are the more secure way of keeping this. And it just makes it simpler. Um, but we know that's going to take a bit of time for everybody to get used to this. So, yes, you can use your, your vaccine card that you got um, in the north. And in some areas, uh, it's a piece of paper um, that has the information. If you went to a pharmacy, if you were somebody who got AstraZeneca at a pharmacy, then uh, that piece of paper can be used for the first little while as well. Right. Would it be fair to say that this is something you're doing reluctantly, that this is not the preferred option or your first choice? Well, obviously, uh, my first choice would have been uh, for us to have been able to not have to do this type of uh, of a um, this type of a measure to to try and keep things going, um, to keep businesses open, to keep these social connections open. And you know, we were very hopeful as our immunization rates were going up so well um, over the summer that we'd be able to uh, move on to this next stage. But the reality is, uh, with the new virus that uh, is circulating here in BC and across Canada, that increased transmissibility means that we need to get to that next step in terms of protection with the with the vaccine. So yeah. um, it is a measure that we are that will work to try and support those businesses that have been most impacted by this. Um, by the the need to shut things down, the the higher risk places where we know that if you have numbers of people who uh, have not yet been vaccinated there, that it it can spread really quickly, and we've seen that we've seen that happen right. in the in the interior, 
Um, we've seen that happen in the north. So this is a way to try and protect us all, to keep the businesses open, to allow us to continue these really important activities that we want in our lives. I'm interested in uh, kind of how your thinking has evolved on the, the vaccine passport, because if we think back to just last spring, and I'll, I'll play a short clip of here uh, of you here in a news conference in May when you were asked about a vaccine passport. So uh, this is just so this, you know, just going back four months here, and then I'll get your thoughts on the other side of this. So let's have a listen here. This virus has shown us that there are inequities in our society that have been exacerbated by this pandemic. And there is no way that we will recommend um, inequities be increased by use of things like vaccine passports for services for public access here in British Columbia. Okay, that was back in May when you were concerned about inequities. Are are you... Are there more inequities? Are there inequities? Are you... Would you suggest that there are inequities that are required to be brought in now because of the threat of this variant? Yeah, so that is something that I continue to be really focused on. And that is why you'll see that the activities that we're requiring the vaccine card for are not those public services. They're not um, places that people go to get, uh, low-income families go to get a meal, for example. They're not right. those uh, those um, essential services, whether it's going to a grocery store or a pharmacy or a liquor store or accessing health services. So that is really um, what, I w- what I continue to be really focused on, making sure that we're not um, denying people access uh, and increasing the inequities in access to those essential pieces that we have. And we focus very much on what are more discretionary and when uh, those settings that are highest risk for transmission of the virus. That's why we're talking about gyms, for example, because unfortunately that is an environment where um, we have seen that this virus transmits very easily between people and it can cause uh, a lot of illness. Some of the restaurants that we've seen when people are um, gathering together in groups and, and you know, nightclubs and bars that uh, that haven't been able to function normally because it, it is such a risky environment. So right. we are focusing on those discretionary things. Right. Speaking to Dr. Bonnie Henry, of course, of course, there are some groups that say that this vaccine card will create inequities in British Columbia, notably for people who are unable to take the vaccine because of a a rare medical condition. And we see a lot of human rights groups speaking out on this right now. Play a short clip here for you, Dr. Dr. Henry of Kasari Govender, who is British Columbia's independent human rights commissioner. She was my guest here on the show last week. She's concerned about the vaccine passport and the lack of a medical exemption. So play this and get your thoughts here on the other side. I think a lack of an exemption or accommodation could uh, constitute a violation of the Human Rights Code. Okay, so she's concerned that this vaccine card contravenes BC's Human Rights Code because of the lack of an exempt, a medical exemption for people who can't take the vaccine. How do you respond to that? Yes, I've had conversations with uh, the Human Rights Commissioner and her office along the way for this, um, and there are a couple of things. One, this is a temporary measure, and uh, and it is... There are, as as we talked about, very few medical exemptions uh, for these vaccines. They're very simple vaccines that have, don't have a lot in them. Um, and a lot of what I'm hearing from people that they say that I can't take the vaccine because I'm immune compromised, those are actually conditions that we recommend people have this vaccine because they're more at risk 
for having severe illness from the from the virus. So uh, there are very few true medical exemptions and the accommodations that we have. And again, this goes to why we focused on the activities that are highest risk and that are discretionary because the accommodations that can be made, it doesn't have to be exactly the same. It doesn't mean you have a right to, to sit inside in a restaurant. What you can do is you can take takeaway. You can um, participate in, in things remotely. We've all had to do that over this last 20 months. And so we are right. making sure there are ways that people can participate in these activities without actually having to be physically present. If right. Although I, I, I spoke to the president of the Disability Alliance of BC on the show last week as well. It's the largest disabled advo- advocacy mm-hmm. group in British Columbia. And they're also concerned about the lack of an exemption. And uh, she told me one story about a, a disabled woman whose doctor had told her she's unable to take the vaccine because of her medical condition. Part of her therapy is going to a pool for pool therapy and aqua therapy. She will not be allowed to get her therapy now, right? Because she won't be able no, to get a vaccine card. actually not correct for a couple of reasons. Okay. And one, you know, we've worked really closely with the disability community and the self-advocates community, and they're doing an amazing job. And my office has been a meeting with them at least weekly over the last 20 months. And we prioritize people with disabilities for immunization, for protection from immunization, for, through vaccination. So, you know, that is something that we've paid a lot of attention to. So um, just on that pools and medical therapy are not included in this okay. and for those very reasons. Okay. And again, I will say, most people with disabilities mount a really strong immune response and should be immunized because we know that for a variety of different people with uh, different disabilities, they have more severe illness with COVID. And right now, it's a risk for people. So I would encourage her to, to review this with her physician, make sure um, that, uh, that she has access to vaccination. Okay, you had a very memorable line in the news conference yesterday. Let's get angry at the virus and not at each other. Are, do you have concerns about the potential for confrontation here? Like, we already see a lot of businesses, or at least a significant number of them, saying they will ref- openly vowing to vowing to not enforce the, the BC vaccine card. There's this Facebook site I suspect you're familiar with. I'm looking at right now BC businesses against health pass. 120,000 members on there and lots of businesses posting on there that they won't enforce the vaccine card. What do you think of that? You know, I think that's a very small number, actually, and many of them are not affected by this anyway. We've had a lot of support from the business community. This is not about um, restricting people's rights. It's about making sure that we can keep things open for people in a way that's safe, safe for workers, safe for people who are going into those businesses, being able to um, increase the number of people that can go to a, a hockey game, for example. These are all things that we want in our communities. And yeah, I know there are some people who feel that they're entitled to uh, you know, throw rocks at politicians and, uh, and uh, protest at hospitals because they don't believe in things. Well, you know, those are things that I, that I find are are very challenging right now and we want people to to take a step back and look at how we get through these trying times together and we do that 
by recognizing we may have differences of opinions, but there's never a reason to resort to violence and uh, and that type of, uh, right. of behavior. And, and that's what I was trying to get out. We're all frustrated and angry and want this to be over, but it's it's the virus that we need to take that out on, not each other. And businesses need to, we're working with them, we'll support them through this, and it's a way for them to keep open and to safely protect their workers and to make sure that we can enjoy these things. Dr. Henry, thank you for your time this morning. I'm, I'm very grateful to you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about BC's vaccine passport. The BC vaccine card is coming, and you can download it to your smartphone right now. You can print out the QR code. You can go online, or you can call a a 1-800 number and get a card mailed to your home as well. Lots of different options. Proof of vaccination will be required to go to a restaurant starting on Monday, let's check in with Ian Tostenson, CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Hi, Ian. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks a lot for doing this. So there are some exemptions, right? Like a fast food restaurant will not be required to uh, ask for the card, correct? Yeah, that's right. And a little bit of backstory here, because I think listeners might find interesting. I mean, we worked, uh, you know, when the, when the government says they've engaged industry, we worked all weekend. Uh, with the government on on that particular back and forth, I mean, I honestly thought that the the best way was uh, one one system. Everybody that said if you're in any restaurant, uh, it should be a vaccine card. But when we think about it now, and in, in the context of what happens in a quick service restaurant, I think Dr. Henry said it well yesterday. Those are quick transactions. People don't hang around. It's in most cases it's grab and go. So it's really low risk, and it's a different environment than full service. And so we. We bought into that, uh, and, and I think that's the right thing to do. It also avoids, Mike, the whole notion of um, the kind of stuff that happened in Port Alberni, where we have young people at a counter, uh, you know, trying to go, hey, Mike, can I see your vaccine card? And you just go, and there's nothing, there's nowhere for them to go. So then the next would, well, now we need security guards and on and on, on. So anyways, that worked out really well. I think it's a good exemption, and and we we entirely support that. I think the, the, it was good wisdom on the government's part in that one. Okay, fast food restaurants exempted, cafeterias also exempted, food courts in a in a shopping mall also exempted from asking for the vaccine card. I guess the what the vast majority of all the other restaurants will be required starting Monday to ask for proof of vaccination, right? So we're talking what, 10,000 restaurants or what? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, maybe 7,500 licensed restaurants, 8,000 okay. licensed places in the province, okay. yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, how is that going to go? Like, do you have any concerns? Well, uh, you know, I had an email from a a gentleman at Whistler. He said, he goes, like the program, font size is good on the posters. It looks pretty easy for us to execute. It's the right thing to do. It's going to keep our businesses open. We're really happy about this. Uh, So when I look at that, I think that's that's the general feeling is, um, there's no sense in debating whether we should, we shouldn't. We're going to do it. We're going to do it in such a way that that is so well done because our industry has done that for 18 months. And it's just going to be, I, you know, I envision the transaction. You know, Mike's going to come to the restaurant. He's going to show his passport um, certification or card, however he has it, either his phone or a piece of paper, and for the first couple of weeks on your um, your original vaccination card that your ID in your inside, I don't think that's going to be a problem. We are going to work with the premier. He said that he was open to 
looking at any costs that we incur as an industry, and I don't know how we're going to do this, but if, if our industry is incurring extra costs because we've got to put people to the front, then we'll try to do something with government. And I think they're all, uh, you know, most cooperative to do that. So we'll get through this. I mean, I, um, and I don't, you know, frankly worry too much about the security. I think there's, there's so much uh, inertia by the public and so many people wanting this to happen and so many people wanting to go to places and feel, you know, relatively protected. Um, I, I don't think we're going to have, you know, a lot of, we're certainly going to have some problems with some people, but I don't think it's going to be widespread. Okay, I hope you're right about that. Uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry was asked yesterday about fines for rule breaking and should you call the cops if someone doesn't want to show their card or if they're not vaccinated and they insist on coming into a bar or restaurant. Here's what she had to say yesterday about that, Dr. Bonnie Henry. And they can be issued by a number of different uh, officials, whether it's the community safety unit, our liquor and cannabis inspectors, environmental health officers, gaming investigators, conservation officers, and of course, um, public safety officers or police officers. Obviously, the first um, thing that the first line of, of defense is not to call the police, and the police are there to support us, to support businesses, should somebody um, be uh, disturbing the peace. Okay, most of this stuff is going to be handled in-house, though, would you say, Ian? I mean, if you have someone at the door who doesn't want to show their vaccine card, I mean, you're not calling a bylaw enforcement officer or a cop right away. Like, you would try to, <laughs> yeah. like, what, how would you deal with that? Well, the the one recommendation, one or one of the we, one of the recommendations that we had was consistent signage, and so every business uh, has been provided a template, and it says basically you you know you are required by law to produce a proof of vaccination. So it doesn't say courtesy of Mike's restaurant; it's courtesy of the BC government. So that's a, that's really smart. So that. If, if I'm doing, if I'm the, the person mm. at the front and you start to hassle me, I'm going to say, you know, sir, I'm sorry, but this is the law for British Columbia. I have nothing I right. can do about it. Yeah. I think that's going to take a lot of people and go, okay, I don't want to, I don't, because when the law is the law, there are fines. Then if we go to this, you know, the next line will be, we're putting together some materials um, uh, for, in, for industry to who do you call? So what kind of phone call do you make? You know, because uh, Dr. Henry uh listed the the number or the businesses that we can call and then if it gets really brutal um like that guy in um port alberni then we'll throw up on the police uh so i but i think i i the guy I, the guy in port, the guy in port alberni is that the guy who urinated in the restaurant uh, yeah yeah, yeah that, that was I disgusting mean, just, just, you know and I, unbelievable I, I, that, to me in my mind and, and when we looked at you know exempting quick service restaurants i mean what is that 17-year-old girl say to her parents, like, what happened? How was your work today? I mean, come on. Uh, so come I on. think in a way that's good that happened. I think it alerted every one of us to the fact that that's, that's not on, that's not fair, and don't take this out. As Dr. Henry said, scream out of your car about the pandemic, but don't take it out on, on people that are trying to do earnest, earnestly doing a good job. Okay, there are some restaurants expressing some concerns around enforcement. Let me play this here for you, Ian, and get your thoughts. This is Simon Fowlick, who is the owner of the American Restaurant. Here it is. People that don't employ, you know, door staff are going to have to deal with this, and it's going to be the frontline service staff that is going to be the ones that are impacted the most. And that's, to me, that's what really kind of frustrates me about this whole thing, is that you're going to see 
people that aren't trained in how to de-escalate be forced in these situations where they're going to have to learn to do it on the fly. Okay, I'm not, I'm not sure what the alternative is, though. I mean, short of hiring security officers or bouncers or something. Ian? Well, you're right, uh, and, and I think it depends. Um, you know, that, that area of town might be a little rougher, uh, you know, just general comment, uh, and so there might be a little bit more we have to be careful. You, know, you know, I think we're just going to have to play this one day to day if 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 that restaurant needs uh, added help, then that's the kind of situation we'll go to government and say, look, you know, we got a situation here. You know, they're trying to inter- you know trying to do what's the right thing to do here and follow the health orders, but they're needing some help here. So, I think we'll get through it. I um, mean, I think part of the, part of that comment that we just heard is they haven't seen the whole system, and I think when you see how simple yeah. this is going to be, I actually think, Mike. You know, I downloaded my card today. It was like, took me about a minute. It was awesome. Uh, I think people will be all lined up and ready to go, and they'll have their, their documents in their hand, just like you have when you get on a plane. And they go, here, check it out. I, I don't think we're going to get a lot of people going, oh, really? I think people are going to be really enthusiastic. Certainly that's the messaging that we're going to encourage people, is have your documents ready before you get on the plane, or in this case, in the restaurant, and have some fun with it. You know, it's... As you said it earlier, we're doing this for the public good. We're doing this to get rid of COVID. We've yeah. got to put every ounce of uh, we have into this one and, and go for it. I think we've got a good would, chance. Would you say there, you re, you represent all the restaurants in British Columbia, and I, I think there are regional divides on this one. That I, I was mm. looking at some polling numbers on this yesterday about support for the vaccine passport, the vaccine card is is higher in the large cities, let's say Lower Mainland, Victoria, and then as you get further out into the north and interior of British Columbia, support for it goes down, as does yeah. the vaccination rate. So I'm wondering, like, when you speak to your people who are running restaurants all throughout the province, I mean, are you hearing more concerns or any opposition to this in the rural yeah. parts of the province or small town BC? Yeah, a little bit in the Okanagan, uh, certainly up north. Um, and it is, you know, the, the one we hear the most is uh, we're on the border of Alberta. A lot of our customers are from Alberta. So what do we do? And I yeah. think the answer is now is that um, they have to show a vaccine card. Right. And I think that that's reasonable now. Um, I, I guess I guess if we have businesses that are going to get totally hurt by this for whatever reason, we're going to have to look at that. Um, but, I, I, you know, I think, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but we're going to have to do a transition in these parts of the province. We're going to have to sort of get those vaccination rates up and and get rid of the reluctance. And hopefully this provides a little motivation and we'll do what we can to provide resources and encouragement. But definitely there is a, there is a, a difference between, you know, sort of urban and rural split on this one. Absolutely. Okay. Last question for you. Did you see that promise on the campaign trail from conservative leader Aaron O'Toole on restaurant uh, meals? One? Okay. Let me play it oh, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Let me play uh, it for yeah. you. This is, this is Aaron O'Toole on his, Dine and Discovery program he's promised to voters. Have a listen. For one month, we will give Canadians a 50% rebate for any food and non-alcoholic drinks purchased for dine-in meals from Monday to Wednesday. This will pump almost $1 billion into our hard-hit hospitality sector. Okay, okay. This is like uh, a billion right. bucks to pick up yeah. half, half your tab at the restaurant for a month. If you go from Monday to Wednesday, it's like, I guess that's one of the uh, slowest days for restaurants, are they? I don't know. You know, and this is not a political thing. I just think that we could take that billion dollars 
and invested differently. I mean, the problems that we have right now are we don't have any staff, so I'm not so sure we need a whole bunch more business. Um, I, I thought you I thought you would great. love that. I thought you'd be all yeah. over it and say it's great. No, I mean, of course it's great, but I, I mean, if we have a billion dollars, I think we need to invest in getting a workforce in our restaurants. We, we went to make a reservation at, well, Keg Restaurant on Saturday night, and they had a section closed because they didn't have enough people. So, you know, it's fine to get more people to dine out, but I think we need to get more people working in the restaurants. Uh, so maybe it's a combination of both. I mean, I, I certainly appreciate his, you know, thinking of the industry. He's thinking of the industry in the broadest sense across Canada, but I yeah. think our biggest issue right now in BC is we've got lots of business. We just need people. So I would like wow. to see things like, you know, the foreign express foreign worker program, you know, uh, mm. the, the time it takes to wait for those workers reduced and uh, training and all that different stuff. Well, we'll see. It's kind of a cool idea, but I think, like I said, we need workers. So if anybody okay. needs a job, <laughs> you can call me. <laughs> okay. We'll help you. <laughs> okay. I know, they're hi- yeah, I know you're hiring. Ian, thank you for coming on today. Uh, always, Mike. Thank you, bud. All right, welcome back. Now, here we go now with the gun control politics heating up on the federal election campaign trail here. Now, remember how this started last year when the Justin Trudeau government banned uh, assault weapons in Canada, or at least what the liberals call assault weapons. Of course, there's a, a fight over the definition of that term and what it means. Bottom line here, though. The Liberal government under Justin Trudeau banning hundreds of models of semi-automatic rifles, including the uh, AR-15, which is probably the most uh, notorious of the bunch. These are definitely some uh, scary-looking weapons, uh, semi-automatic rifles. Now, remember what Aaron O'Toole, the federal conservative leader, said, and I, I talked to him about this on, on this show. He was opposed to what the government was doing on this ban, and he said he would repeal it. He would repeal that ban on those assault weapons. Well, now it's starting to be a bit of a different story here. And O'Toole, when you ask him about this now, the answer is not exactly crystal clear about exactly what he's going to do. Have a listen to this here now. Now, here's Aaron O'Toole questioned on the campaign trail this week. We hear a reporter trying to pin him down here. Are you going to lift the ban on these weapons or not? Repeal this assault weapon ban. And listen carefully to what he says here. We will maintain a ban on assault weapons. And as I've said, we will also have, and it's in our policy, a transparent and public review of our classification system. Because Mr. Trudeau is trying to import U.S.-style attacks here. Okay, so he's saying he will maintain the ban that Trudeau has brought in, but, as you heard him say there at the end, there will be a review under a conservative government, and I guess that means you don't rule out uh, repealing that ban later. Okay, let's discuss now, and I wanted to try and get both sides of it here. I've been reaching out to the conservatives for the last couple of days to get a BC candidate a spokesperson to come on in this issue, and I just got silence. They don't want it. They don't want to talk about this right now, and I think it's uh, you can tell that they're kind of ducking for cover a little bit here on this here now. Uh, let's speak to the liberals on it. My guest is Randeep Sarai, liberal candidate for re-election in Surrey Centre. I'm pleased to welcome him back, Randeep. Thank you for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure, Mike. Always a pleasure to be okay. on the show. Can you give me? Thank you for being here. Can you give me your take on this issue? Uh, the take is clear. We've uh, we've banned assault rifles, and uh, they, these are rifles that are designed to kill other people in the fastest 
process possible. Uh, they're made for paramilitary or military use only, and they should not belong in civilian hands. We banned them, and uh, the Conservatives have said they're going to repeal it. It's in their platform on page 90. Uh, he says one thing in French, uh, O'Toole, when he's in Quebec debates, by saying, oh, he's going to repeal them, and then he says something else in English and something else uh, to his uh, gun lobbyists, uh, who he, he got votes to get elected from, and he told them he'll repeal it. And uh, what, what do you think? What do you think about what he's saying now? Saying he'll keep the ban in place at least at the beginning of a conservative government. Uh, I think how can you trust him uh, when he promised uh, in his leadership and he's promised it in his platform? So uh, I, I think Canadians can't be assured at all by what he says. Uh, he's speaking out of two different tongues in a fourth tongue, uh, uh, different different uh, conversations with different people. And his gun lobbyists are saying, hey, no, get him elected. He's got to get elected, stupid. And afterwards, we'll, we'll, we'll get him to change it. So there's obviously some inside deal. And, and uh, I don't think uh, Canadians are stupid enough to uh, fall for that. I think they're very wise and smart. They don't want guns uh, that are made to kill people in rapid amounts of times that killed women in Montreal, killed 20-plus people in Nova Scotia, killed uh, innocent people. Uh, uh, people in a mosque. I think these guns should be off the streets. Okay, yeah, the, the NFA, which is the National Firearm Association in Canada, basically kind of Canada's version of the NRA, uh, put out a statement to their members. I'm uh, just taking a look at it right now, and it says there's been some confusion and angst uh, regarding some of the comments made this week by Aaron O'Toole saying he'd keep the, uh, he'd keep the, the gun ban in place. And it goes on to say, the NFA is completely confident that the election of a conservative government will result in the use of evidence-based research to repeal this ill-considered firearms ban. So you got the largest gun rights association in the country saying, don't worry, don't worry, keep voting conservative, they're going to repeal this ban. Your thoughts? Well, uh, they've already had, they seem to have some understanding with them that uh, he will repeal it. It's a promise he's given to them, and I think it's shameful for Canadians. It's shameful for all the uh, people's families who've lost their lives due to this, who have been lobbying for this. The police chiefs of Canada have asked for this to be done. Um, uh, and they're going to legalize assault weapons and repeal lifetime background checks. This is what he's promised. You've seen it there. The gun lobby is stating that that's what he's promised, and they're relying on it. So uh, uh, I, I think it's despicable. I think Canadians uh, want these off the streets. We do not want to become an American style uh, uh, state where, where massive gun violence is happening on a, on a weekly occasion. Okay, speaking to Randeep Sarai, Liberal candidate for re-election in Surrey Centre. So, Randeep, when we talk about these weapons and, and your description and your definition of them, I think I heard you say that these are weapons of war that are designed to kill the most people in the fast. Could you just repeat that? Like, how do you, how do yeah, you, define, the, the, how do you define assault weapon? So, first of all, these are experts, uh, uh, police experts, gun experts that de define them. There's a, there's a, a group that will define the, the, these uh, weapons. They're assault-style weapons. They're the weapons. They're made for the battlefield. They're not made for hunting. They're not made for uh, target practice. They're not made for sport uh, shooting. Uh, these are simply uh, weapons we see on the battlefield. Uh, they're made with large ca uh, magazine capacity to kill the most people in the shortest period of time. Uh, well, but they're a semi-automatic rifle, though. 
It's not, it's, not an, it's not an. They're not automatic weapons. Fully automatic weapons are already banned in Canada. Like, like I would, like I would say to you, if you're going to say the definition is well, this is a weapon. It's designed to kill the most people as quickly as possible. I think most reasonable people would say, well, you're talking about like a machine gun, like a, like a, a fully automatic weapon where you press the, the the trigger down once and it sprays out bullets. That's not what these these Those weapons are. Those are already banned. And That's these right. Are further ones that are like an AR-15, as you said, a uh, Rugen's Mini. Uh, these are the ones that killed a lot of people in a very short period of time. They're yeah, I know, but I, what I'm, I guess they have my no other purpose other than to kill. They're not there for hunting. They're not designed for hunting. They're not designed yeah. for sports shooting or competitive shooting. They're not designed for any other purpose other than this. Uh, yes, they've been slowed a little bit uh, by not being fully automatic uh, versus an AK-47 or M16. They're an Air 15, but they're still not designed, and they should have no place in Canadian society. I think. Right, but I mean, the basic function of a semi-automatic rifle, like these, like the weapons that we're discussing here, it's it means you have to pull the trigger once for each separate bullet that gets fired. And the magazine capacity is limited to five. You can only put five more bullets in the magazine. That's the law, right? Correct, but you can get magazines that have higher capacity that put up, that they put on these weapons. And I'm yeah. just saying the larger amount of deaths that have happened in mass shootings have been with these weapons. And I trust the police of chiefs uh, uh, that, that see these, the Paramedics Association of Canada, that have seen the result and the victims of these shootings, and they have all recommended that these weapons be banned. And I think we should yeah. go by the uh, the experts who have suggested that they should be banned. They have no place in Canadian society. Okay, when you say that you know you don't use these weapons for for hunting, and I I remember that Justin Trudeau famously said you don't need an AR-15 to take down a deer. And I think even the people who who own these guns would probably ag agree with you on that because it's illegal to hunt with them. Hunt with them with a you can't hunt a deer with an AR-15. That's illegal in Canada already, right? So what's the purpose of having it, right? So why? Well, the, the, purp the purpose it, the purpose the they take it. Well, there's only one purpose you can use these things for, and that's to take them to a, a gun range, gun range, and use them for uh, target shooting. And that's why I think the Canadian Association of Chiefs of Police and the emergency physicians have all stated we need to remove those because we've seen them. They've been diverted for different uses. They've been sold on an illicit market, um, and they've been used. All our mass shootings, or the majority of mass shootings in Canada, have been used with these weapons. And uh, I've, my constituents and the people I speak to at the door do not want these, and that's why we prohibited them, uh, prohibited them in 2019, and uh, and last May we prohibited uh, those right. that were designed for the battlefield, and we've done strengthened gun uh, background checks, uh, also to prevent intimate uh, partner violence, and, and I think we need to strengthen our gun laws even more. There's lots of law-abiding gun owners. I'm not against them at all, and I think uh, they have every right to have them, but certain uh, weapons should be uh, removed from our society. What would you say to people who own these guns now, and they're, they're law-abiding gun owners, and the only thing you can do with these, what they're restricted weapons, the only thing you can do with them is take them to a gun range and use them for target shooting, and, and that's it, and that's all they use them for, and now you're coming to take their guns away from them. And O'Toole will say, and I'll play a clip here for you from Aaron O'Toole saying, this is not the problem, these legally owned guns owned by law-abiding gun owners. The problem is illegal guns 
flowing into Canada across the border. This is where the gangbangers are getting their guns. This is this is where these illegal guns that are coming from that are being used in killings like the terrible killings we saw in Nova Scotia. So let me play that for you, Randeep, and get your thoughts. So here's Aaron O'Toole on that. The problem is the smuggling of weapons from the United States, which have very different rules to Canada. We need to stop that. We've seen the border be completely porous under Mr. Trudeau. We have to strengthen our border, work with police, and also work with criminal uh, organization and street gang uh, projects of police to keep the shootings we've seen in our big cities to, to fight against them. Okay, so he's saying that should be the priority, not banning guns that are owned by law-abiding gun owners. Your thoughts? Well, well when he was in Canada under Harper, he should have uh, stopped them from reducing CBSA's border security guards by 30%. He should have stopped them when they shut down the organized crime unit in the RCMP, which allowed a lot of these guns to come across. But let me just quote you what the Edmonton police chief said. He said, roughly 5 to 10% of Edmonton's crime guns are coming from the U.S. border. The remainder have either been acquired legally or obtained through straw purchases or stolen. So they're domestic guns that are stolen or used in these arms. Same thing with the Regina police chief, same thing with the Saskatoon police chief. They all say most of the guns used in Canada, or a large percentage of them, are domestically used and not from the border, but we're also strengthening the border. We've also increased gun smuggling uh, uh, penalties uh, and maximum penalties, and we've also given them more money, uh, 90 million more. So that's where I think Aaron O'Toole should have been there and, and speaking his mind when they were redu- taking cuts and reducing CBSA guards at the border and not okay. inspecting cargo. Randeep Sarai, thank you for coming on today. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you.